Greetings, I'm Michelle Mason, President and CEO of Association Forum. Welcome to the CEO-only podcast produced by Association Forum. The purpose of this podcast is to engage association CEOs and thought leaders in a conversation around emerging trends and opportunities for associations. It is my pleasure to introduce our first guest uh, of this podcast series, Byron Reese. Byron is the CEO and publisher of the technology research company Gideon and the founder of several high-tech companies. The websites he has launched which cover the intersection of technology, business, science, and history have together received more than a billion visitors. He's the author of Infinite Progress, how the internet and technology will end ignorance, disease, poverty, hunger, and war. He lives in Austin, Texas. Today, our topic is artificial intelligence. Byron will share with us his wisdom and his insights to help associations understand this complex area of opportunity and study. So welcome, Byron. Byron, do you want to- Thank you so, thank you so much for having me. Well, we're pleased that you are here with us today. So I'll just get us started with the first question. How's that? Go right ahead. All right. So the first question we have for you, Byron, is what do leaders need to know and think about in terms of the workforce of the future? Well, that's uh, that's a big question, obviously. If you, if you have to pick anything out, though, it, it is that um, technology becomes an ever- larger part of of the workforce how we use technology you know technology in its simplest form are just things that increase human productivity uh you can you know you more people can hear you because you have a podcast and if you stood on your roof and yelled because you're using a piece of technology and that technology by increasing human productivity uh is the thing that drives increased wealth i mean the whole reason that in the U.S., for instance, we've had 250 years of rising wages against pretty much constant full employment is because we're using technology to forever increase our uh, productivity. And so I think successful businesses of the future will learn to use technology in, in more and more ways to magnify what their workers are able to do. That's kind of a broad concept. If I had to kind of think of a of a more micro trend, I would think of the evolution away from transactional businesses to relationship businesses. And let me let me give an example. Technology is really good at, at taking things that are otherwise transactional and turning them and, and lowering the cost of those to zero. So you think of something like um, take the ATM machine. When the automatic teller machine came out. You know, it's, it's got the name automatic teller in the name. People assumed it was going to be a replacement of bank tellers, and therefore there would be fewer bank tellers. But as it so happens, there's more bank tellers today than when the ATM came out. What happened, what happened was that the ATM lowered the cost of opening a bank branch. It took the transactional aspect of banking, just here's, here's my card, give me some cash, and drop the cost of that to zero. So what banks did is opened more branches. Therefore, they hired more tellers. The teller's job became more relationship. You can also think of, um, you may have heard that Google Translate is getting to be as good as a human translator. And so do you think that's kind of good for human translators or bad? Well, according to the Bureau of Labor and Statistics, 
the number of translators we're going to need is, is about to shoot through the roof. Why? Because the simple transactional notion of translate this document to another language, the cost of that just fell to zero. So what people are going to do is consume a lot more of that. And then what they're going to need are uh, contracts carefully negotiated, uh, carefully translated. They're going to need face-to-face meetings. They're going to under- need to understand the customs of other countries and, and all of the rest. So a translator goes from being transactional to a relationship. Tax, uh, tax preparation software doesn't mean we don't need tax prep professionals, uh, rocket, rocket lawyer, or all these things that let you do simple contracts for free doesn't mean we need less lawyers. So what I think happens is technology lowers the cost of certain transactions to zero and transforms those jobs into more relationship-driven. And so the big trend, more technology, figure out how to use technology in your business. The kind of the, the mental shift is think in terms of relationships more than transactional than transactions. Great. Thank you for that. And and if we just take a moment, Byron, to unpack what you just shared with us, uh, it's safe to assume or say that technology technology is just a tool. Now, associations are in the relationship business. So what opportunities do you see for us on how we do business in the future? Well, I think the role of associations you ever wonder, you know, you go into a grocery store and you see a hundred different kinds of spaghetti sauce on on the spaghetti aisle. And you think, you know, why isn't there just like the one really good one? And, and there was a person who wrote about this and he said, it turns out that we, that there is a plurality of perfection. You know, you may like chunky and I like traditional and somebody else may like garlic and somebody likes something different. And that, the world of the future and the world of now gives people many more choices of, of services, of products, of how they can spend their time. You know, the world is, is opened up in terms of what we can do. And what people need are trusted guides. They need, they need authorities. They need kind of people that will, and organizations that will help them make sense of an ever more complicated future. And so I think associations are really helpful as like repositories of you know of institutional knowledge they really are there to help navigate an ever more complex um, landscape of choices and that's really good news because that's something that by the way cannot be replaced by technology and that's something that's very high value people people will will pay and appreciate that kind of guidance um, that trusted guide role uh, in, in a way that, you know, just simple, just simply providing information to people is, that's commoditized, but this kind of trusted guide, that's where the value of the future is. And so I think that's kind of part of the, the power of associations. I, I agree with you. I think that we really need to be reminded that we are a trusted guide, a credible resource in this whole era of information overload, big data, well, what does that mean? And so your association clearly is a place where you can make, to your point, make sense of that level of complexity, which is a really great segue into the next question I have for you, Byron, and that is, well, it's a two-part question, really. What really is artificial intelligence? 
So that's a fantastic question. The, the short answer is there's no agreed upon definition. <laughs> but, okay. um, and, and it's mainly because we don't agree on what intelligence is. But I won't, I won't go down that esoteric path. I will say that from a practical standpoint, um, it's important to know there are two very different things people mean by the phrase. And, and what I'm about to say is not controversial. 100% of everybody would agree with what I'm about to say. It isn't, it isn't an opinion. This is a simple fact, which is there is um, something called narrow artificial intelligence. And that's what we have in abundance today. And that is a computer program that is trained to do one thing. It will uh, spot spam in your email, but it don't don't ask it what you should get your spouse for Christmas. It can do one thing very well. It can play chess. It can route your car through traffic, and that's what we have today. That's no, that's what we know how to build. And I'll come back to that in a second. There's another thing called artificial general intelligence, and that's what you see in science fiction. That is Commander Data from Star Trek. That's C3PO from Star Wars. Uh, that is an AI that. That's like you and I. It can, you ask it to do anything, it's going to figure out how to do it. And that's something we don't know how to make. And that, by the way, when you hear people say they're afraid of what AI might do, high-profile individuals who call it an existential threat or it's more dangerous than nukes or something like that, that's what they're talking about. They're talking about a technology we do not yet know how to build. And if you ask people when we're going to get that technology, uh, opinion is divided between five and 500 years. So it's a, it's a very nebulous thing. And so when people say they're worried about AI, and, and other than, you know, its effect on privacy or automation, but when they're like really worried this is the end of the world, they're talking about a technology very different than what we know how to build today. So back to narrow AI, um, what it is in, in, in its most common incarnation is very simple. We simply, it's a technique where we take data about the past, we get a computer to study it, and make predictions about the future. And when you say it that way, that doesn't sound like anything all that special. And in that regard, it, it really isn't. We have faster computers and we have more data, and so we can study more about the past and we can make better predictions about the future, but that's all it is. It's the same thing a human would do. Um, it's, that, that's what it is. The, the philosophical assumption under it is that the future is like the past. And that's true for many things. You can train it to identify a cat photo because a cat tomorrow looks a lot like a cat does today. But there are all kinds of problems it probably isn't very good at solving. It probably cannot predict what I'm going to say next, even if it studies everything I've ever said in the past. Who knows, right, what I'm going to say. So there are kinds of problems it does very well on. Where, there's, where things stay largely the same, and then there are kinds of problems where it doesn't uh, do as well. So that's what it is. It's a technique to study data about the past and make predictions about the future. So, so, so Brian, with this technique, how do we utilize this, or how do you see us utilizing this in associations? Uh, we have large volumes of information about the past, about the history of the different industries that our associations represent. Uh, do you see this as an opportunity to position us more competitively in the marketplace? I would say, broadly speaking, yes. You use AI, narrow AI, the kind we have now, to do one of three things. One is to automate tasks 
you take repetitive tasks and you figure out how to automate them using data about the past. One are conversational technologies. You, um, you build chatbots that people can ask questions and get answers. But the third thing you do with it, which is insight generation, I think that's what associations can do a lot of for their, um, for their members. And, and that is we have all of this data and we want to understand more about the world from it. And I think that's what artificial intelligence, that aspect of AI, let's study a bunch of data about the past and, and provide insights about the future. And sometimes those are things that are not very intuitive that you're able to tease out of the data. Um, the good news is that that becomes ever easier. We have obviously more data, but we have faster and cheaper computers. But the, the, the biggest change is the tools for doing this get better and better. It used to be you had to have you know, a research organization code code and then you had to have a data scientist use libraries and now it's getting simple enough that an organization can take data and use some tools and and look at the data and tease out things um, about that data in, in in useful ways so I could give you a hundred examples of surprises where we where we have taken data and looked at it and found incredibly unexpected truths out of that data and and those are things that are hard for people to do like if if i handed you a book with a million you know of anything and said hey figure something out about this very hard for us to do computers in a, in a sense are are not intelligent at all they really aren't they can do one thing they can do math they can do math incredibly quickly uh, and and that's it. That's all they know how to do. Um, and, and they do that very well. And, and that's the thing we never want to have to compete with them on. We do kind of everything else very well. We we find patterns and we, we, we figure out what things mean and how to apply things and how to interpret things. But getting the computer to study a bunch of data and then use mathematical techniques to, to show us things about it that we may not have been able to see, uh, that's a really good use of the technology for associations. Yeah, I appreciate that that um, explanation in the sense that it has a direct correlation to your earlier comment, right, about trusted guys. So when you, you know, in part two of my question, really centers around the impact on employment. And so as we look to uh, the tools of uh, technology to help us better understand and tease out uh, interesting insights about uh, the past and predictions you know, about the future, how do you see the uh, staff within associations evolving? Will we be looking to hire a different type of employee or will we hire less? What are your thoughts about that? Well, let me, let me speak to employment overall and then let's, I'll try to talk about associations in general. Um, it's no surprise to anybody listening that there are three completely different narratives or viewpoints about how AI is going to affect automation. One of them is that a lot of low-skilled workers will be unable to find work in the future. I use low-skilled, by the way, with air quotes around it. I don't – people are uh, – anyway, I use that with air quotes around it. Uh, I, don't, I don't know that I've ever met a, low, a quote, low-skilled human. Humans can do 10,000 things. If you have a, a human that can do 10,000 things and, and they're a copyright lawyer, somehow they're high-skilled, uh, whereas somebody who does 10,000 things and isn't a copyright lawyer is low-skilled. Like I, I don't buy that, but, but just 
part of that narrative is that you've got these quote low skilled workers that are going to that are going to get beat by the machines and they're never going to be able to work and they're you're going to have a permanent great depression and social unrest and and the one percent are going to do really well and that's a, a a narrative there's another one which is common in silicon valley which says uh, you're kidding yourself if you think that's what's going to happen. Computers are going to be able to take every single job there is. They're going to write better poetry. They're going to make better movies. They're going to be better politicians. They're going to anytime. At some point, you're going to reach a point where a computer can learn something faster than a human, and then it's game over. Every new job will be a computer job, and that's also a narrative. But there's a third one which says we're not going to have any unemployment because there's no such thing as all the jobs. Jobs jobs are made when people figure out how to apply technology to something new. Um, and that's, that's a third narrative. And I believe it very strongly. So without diminishing the other two, because they had their proponents and people have heard the arguments, let me make the real quick case for that third one, because it's what I believe. And it, it, and it goes like this. It says that uh, we've had full employment in this country for 250 years, other than the depression, which wasn't caused by technology, unemployment in the U.S. has been between 5 and 10 percent constantly. And yet, if you look at that time, we've introduced technologies every bit as transformative as AI. Uh, we've replaced animal power with machines. I mean, that's a big deal. And we did that very quickly. In 22 years, we essentially got rid of all animal power and replaced it with steam. Then we electrified industry. We did that in seven years. We replaced steam with electricity. And that's a huge change. And then we invented um, the assembly line. We, we changed how we make things. And that's a kind of artificial intelligence, a very frightening one if you were a craftsperson back then. And that changed all of manufacturing. And those three humongous changes happened, and there was never an uptick in unemployment. Because why? Because people use these new technologies to increase their own productivity and, and create new and better jobs. So... What happens is as follows. So what people sometimes say is they go, well, technology is really good at making high-paying, high-skilled jobs like um, a geneticist, but it destroys low-paying, low-skilled jobs like an order taker at a fast food restaurant. And then what people sometimes say is, do you really think that order taker is going to become a geneticist? And then people are like, yeah, I guess they're not. We're in, that, that order taker's in bad shape. But that's not what happens at all. What happens is a college biology professor becomes geneticist, and a high school biology teacher gets the college job, and then a substitute teacher gets hired on full-time at the high school all the way down. So the question is not, can that order taker at the fast food place become a geneticist? The question is, can everybody do a job just a little harder than the job they have right now? And if the answer to that is yes, which I believe it is, then as technology creates ever better jobs and destroys worse jobs, what happens is everybody gets a promotion. Everybody goes up a notch. And that's what's happened for 250 years. That's how we went from everybody farmed to now we have web designers. It's, it's, it's that process. And I don't have any reason to believe that that's going to change. And with regard to associations in particular, you may have, you may have heard or your listeners may have heard that there's a, a study out that said 47% of jobs are going to be lost over the next 20 years 
it's a the study that people are usually referencing is out of Oxford, and it's a very good study, but it doesn't say that. Uh, in fact, it goes out of its way to not say that. What it says is 47% of things people do and their jobs can probably be automated. I think of my father, he sold insurance from 1968 to 2000. And I'm sure that in that 32 years, much of what he did was automated. Uh, and yet he still did his job. So I think what you can say to your original question is that it's likely that much of what associations do, what people do in their day-to-day -day job at associations is going to change. It's going to get automated. It's going to get simpler, just like the internet made it simpler, just like the fax machine made it simpler, just like the typewriter changed it. It's going to change, but, but you're still going to have, you know, the same basic functions need to be done. The same basic kinds of outreach and the same basic kind of servicing customers and the same basic kinds of marketing and the same basic kinds of uh, putting on events. I mean, all of that is, is not really going to change. You know, it's, it's interesting, isn't it, that 400 years later, we still read Shakespeare. Like you still go to movies about Shakespearean plays. Um, why? Because we still know those people. Like you still, you know, an Iago or a Lady Macbeth or, or all of that. There's still a Romeo and Juliet. They're still very real to us because we don't really change. But kind of how we spend our days and our jobs does change because of technology. So the best studies I've read have said that over the next 20 years, 9% of jobs are going to vanish. That's a pretty typical number for the economy, by the way. I think about every 50 years, 40% of jobs um, go away or morph into something different. And so I think we can expect how the past has been to continue, but nothing radical is going to happen. AI is an automation. They're not, obviously, nobody needs me to tell them they're not magical. And there's only narrow sorts of, they're wonderful technologies. I mean, I'm what's known as a techno-optimist. I believe we use technology to make a better world. I believe technology can solve technical problems and it can end disease and hunger and poverty and all of the rest. But it isn't anything like what a person does. Your, your iPhone and you have very little in common and, and it doesn't, it isn't, you know, gunning for your job and, and what people do no machine can do and I don't believe we'll be able to do anytime soon, anytime before anybody's retirement uh, who's listening to this. Well, thank you, Byron. And, and I'm reassured knowing that, um, you know, we all have jobs, which is great. Right. But I also appreciate the fact that, you know, we do need to look, work a little harder because our jobs are being automated, as you said, and and uh, it'll become simpler, which really takes us into another question I have for you. We seem to be entering um, an economy where that is very, very entrepreneurial, right? A shared economy. Now, you know, there's the gig economy. Can you explain what the gig economy means and is it here to stay? Well, uh, I, I, I do think it is. When, when people refer to the gig economy, they, they're, they're referring to kind of employment that is structured on an ad hoc basis, meaning you may do something today for somebody, but you will do something different for somebody tomorrow. And so it's a very fluid view of, of labor that today this might be the best use of my time and tomorrow there might be something different and so forth. Technology makes that easier. It makes 
switching between opportunities, you know, that much faster and easier to do. And so I think it's fundamentally a, a good thing. It's, it's more choices for more people. You, you know, we all know, like I just mentioned, my father had the, the same exact job with the same company for 32 years. And, and that was, a, that was a way of doing things. I and mean, my father would not have understood the world that, that, uh, you know, my, my, my mom's view of me is that I can't keep a job because I, I constantly kind of seem to be doing different things. And so I do think that aspect is here to stay for a lot of things. It can be unsettling to many people. And I understand that there's a certain amount of uncertainty, a certain amount of like hope that there's something tomorrow that I can do. I do think that there's a way to prepare for that, by the way. I do think that, um, there's one super skill that the two super skills that I think everybody listening maybe should consider how to apply them. The first is that the great thing to be able to do is to teach yourself new things. As long as you can do that, you'll never be obsoleted. And most of us do it every day. You hear about some new something that you're expected to know about and you go to Wikipedia and you look it up and then you click on a link and you follow that and you figure it all out. Imagine, imagine going through your day and all you could, the only knowledge you were allowed to use is what you learned in school. You know, it's like very little, very little of what you learned in school is what you do day to day in your job. And, and so where did all the rest of that come from? You probably taught most of it to yourself. And that is a great skill. And what that says is that as time passes, being able to teach yourself new things is, is always important. And as long as you can do that, you have nothing to worry about. Uh, the second super skill, I think, is if technology really does multiply what you are able to do, as you said a minute ago, it's a tool. If it multiplies what you're able to do, then and, and automation is something you know, that you're worried about or you think about, look at your own life and try to figure out all the different ways you can apply technology to your own life. How can you take technology and multiply what you are able to do? How can you automate things in your life uh, that you would really rather not be doing? Like anytime you spend waiting in a line or anytime you spend doing your taxes or anytime you spend doing all of these things that aren't great uses of your time, maybe figure out ways to use technology to do that for you. And, um, and if you keep those two ideas in mind, always be able to learn new things and try to apply technology to your life where you can. You, you are on the leading edge. That's what the leading edge is. That's really great advice. Uh, so our listeners know there are two super skills that will secure you in the future, right? Teach yourself new things, be a perpetual student, and apply technology to your life. Do not be afraid of technology. It is a tool. It can advance you. That is exactly right. Oh, that's that's fantastic, and I, I appreciate hearing that. I'll, I'll definitely take that to heart. So as we conclude our our podcast today, I, I want to close with, uh, do you have any parting thoughts that you'd like to share with our audience? I, I believe, it, you know, there was a time when, the best genetic evidence we have says that humans got down to maybe 500 breeding pairs, and that was it. And we were an endangered species, and our entire fate hung on a thread. And somehow we went from there to this world we live in, where we have begun to make 
the world that people have dreamed of. You know, we've outlawed the legal institution of slavery. We've, uh, we, we no longer legally treat women as property. We have increased the amount of democracy around the world. And I mean, believe me, we're, we have more work to do than, uh, than probably than we have come. But the point is, is that we've managed to make progress in a world that was, that we had very little excess, like most people worked to, to, to live. And if they didn't work, they died. And almost everybody scraped out a living on, on a farm. And now we live in a world where we've, we've discovered this trick, technology, that gives us these amazing powers. And now we can end diseases and we can create wealth and we can, we can do all of these wonderful things. And it is, it is puzzling to me that we have now the possibility to actually make a world that people have only dreamed of. And yet, oddly, people seem more pessimistic today than before. That it seems like after 10,000 years of progress, when things are really starting to get interesting, people have lost their confidence. And so I would just, I deeply believe that technology, by multiplying what we're able to do, is going to multiply our ability to solve the problems of the world. And, and I, I think the only thing that will keep that from happening is, is, is that if people collectively give up on that future. Well, thank you. Byron, thank you so much for uh, the intellectual contributions you make to the world. We really uh, appreciate your, your insights and in helping us to understand how, how technology can only make us better and how technology will only help us to your, your, your uh, point, uh, solve the world's problems. And we know that there are many. <laughs> so I'd like to thank you. I'd also like to thank our experienced partners, the National Speakers Bureau, for generously allowing you to join us today. We thank them and value them as partners. I'd like to thank the audience. This is our first CEO-only podcast, and we look forward to producing many more. And uh, see you next time.